it would have been easy to take the organization and move it to Boston or San Diego or somewhere else that has a really great biotech hub. But Steve was really committed to wanting to do that here at Rochester as what I think of as kind of a, a pioneer in the space. And that's one of the things I think is great about our organization is the desire to build the here. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers, to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com healthcare. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. I'm your host, Frank Gestalki, and today we are joined by one of the biotech companies in the Medical Alley community, and one that is doing something truly novel and interesting that I think many of you will find just fascinating technically, but also incredible in the potential impact that it has. I'm so glad to be joined today by uh, Dr. Stephen Russell and Scott Beck from Virad. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Thanks very much, Frank. Yeah, Thanks for hosting. Yeah. Happy to be here. You know, the, the first thing I want to ask is what might be for the two of you a bit of a basic question, but some of our audience may not appreciate this. You all are building an oncolytic virus, and normally I think of a virus as a bad thing. What, what is an oncolytic virus? So it's a virus that attacks only the cancer. Oh. So uh, as simple as that. It's a virus that's been modified genetically or adapted by growing it in cells in the lab so that it um, very selectively or very specifically attacks cancer cells and not normal tissues in the body. It's just incredible to think something that, you know, normally we associate with not a great thing could do something so positive. Uh, Before we dive a little bit deeper into that, something I just wondered In drug companies, often the names of the drugs have some sort of meaning or a tie to the company. And I noticed yours is called Voyager V1 for the lead candidate. Is there is there anything behind Voyager as the name? Well, it was really derived from how we were using our lead candidate virus, you know, which, as I said, specifically attacks cancer. But you we give it by intravenous infusion in most cases. Mm -hmm. And so the virus, and we and we give a very large number of viruses by intravenous infusion, and they ha- they go on a voyage. And what they have to do is find the cancer and attack. And it was really just you know an analogy with that. The virus right. is going on a, vo- a voyage, and V one is for Viriad one because it was our first virus. Right on. And and maybe just quickly, kind of related to that. There's also, uh, if I remember right, a measles platform that you have. 
And again, measles, right? Not something we associate as doing good. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what, what is this measles platform? Well, the, the measles was actually the first oncolytic virus that we took into the clinic. And uh-huh. um, that was many years ago that program began at Mayo Clinic. And the reason we started out with measles was because we felt that was uh, probably a very logical and safe place to start, even though it was going to be an uphill struggle because, you know, most of us have been vaccinated against measles or had measles as a child and have therefore got antibodies against it. So you can imagine with measles, if you put it in the bloodstream, it gets taken out by antibodies that a part of the immune reaction to the virus. Right. But we um, we, we really were blessed because um, 10 years ago, almost, almost a month ago, 10, 10 years and a month ago, we gave a, a massive intravenous dose of our anti-cancer measles virus to a woman named Stacey Erholz. She was at the time 50 years old and had... Um, run out of treatment options for her disseminated cancer. It was multiple myeloma. She had multiple tumors, one of them growing out of her forehead, and mm. she had diffusely involved bone marrow as well. And after a single infusion of the, uh, the original measles virus that we were developing, she went into complete remission. Her wow. disease melted away. And we just last month had um, a celebration at the Mayowood Mansion in uh, yeah. Rochester. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So we had a celebration at Mayowood Mansion at, for Stacy's 10-year anniversary. Wow. Without treatment, still cancer-free. I mean, honestly, it's just amazing because she's the first patient anywhere in the world to have complete resolution of disseminated cancer after an intravenous infusion of a virus. So she was really the inspiration for everything, showed us what measles, what any virus actually could do if if all the parameters were right. Now, you know, after Stacy, we did treat quite a lot of other people at Mayo Clinic, and we didn't get the same sort of amazing response that we got with her, but she nevertheless kind of, has, has been the inspiration and she's shown us what's possible with the viruses that we're developing. Indeed. Yeah. What's possible indeed. And you alluded to this, but I want to back up for a moment. Both of you are are calling in from the, really the foundation of the medical alley community down in the Rochester area. Maybe each of you, I could ask, could you give a bit of background on, on yourselves and a little bit of the journey you've been on and how you, you ended up you know, where you are today. And Dr. Russell, I might start with you and then Scott asked you to share your story. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I started out, I came to Rochester in 1998 from the UK. I'd been working in, in, um, in the Center for Protein Engineering in Cambridge for quite a few years. And I was recruited to Mayo. I had a phone call one day and, you know, they described a, f- a phenomenal opportunity at Mayo to come and build a new they called it a molecular medicine program, but it was really, I think, the goal was to get gene therapy and virus therapy on the map in Rochester. And so I came over for that, and it's been a wonderful 25-year journey. Wow. You know, I came in, 
um, with quite a few faculty positions to fill, with a lot of research space to build out and populate with people. Eventually, that program turned into a department. But, you know, the focus was all the way along developing these oncolytic viruses and manufacturing them, getting them approved by FDA and taking them into the clinic. So it really, you know, it was just perfect for me. And I also, as an MD, was able to get involved in clinical work at Mayo, mm. taking care of patients with multiple myeloma. So it's been a really, uh, a really wonderful journey. And that's what led ultimately to the launch of Viriad because we had these viruses that we were developing at Mayo Clinic that had been tested in people that were looking very promising and that needed to move into a commercial setting. So, yeah, that's been my journey. Thank you. And Scott, how about you? Yeah, so I I came to Rochester uh, back in uh, 92, actually, to, uh, uh, to get married to my wife. It just so happened I got a job at Mayo. Uh, and started out in, in Mayo Clinic Ventures, and uh, I made a career change into uh, research services. And one of the first programs I was assigned with is, was this, this new molecular medicine program <laughs> uh, with uh, uh, this guy they were recruiting from London and a bunch of other people he was bringing over. And and so uh, I, I had the, the pleasure, actually, of working with Steve uh, for about five years while I was in research services. And and I transitioned on to do other things in my career at Mayo. I, I spent time in IT. I helped launch our Center for Individualized Medicine. And, and before I left, I was helping to run our laboratory operations, both internally and our Mayo Clinic laboratory operations externally. Uh, but Steve and I had always remained friends and had kept in contact over the years. And uh, as I came up on my 30-year anniversary at Mayo, uh, it was, a, 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 I think, a, a time... Uh, of thinking about what's next mm. and the opportunity and the environment all kind of came together and an opportunity came up here. Uh, and so I came about a year ago and have tried to take as much as I've learned in the Mayo operation and think about how to apply it here at Viriag. And it's been, you know, certainly a much different environment for me, right. but it's also been one that's been, been fascinating and, you know, really, a great challenge for me personally. And yeah, Frank, Scott couldn't have joined a company at a better time because we were in dire need of somebody who knew operations uh-huh. and who could, you know, pull it all together and run it. I mean, you know, I had no idea of that when we started out that we'd kind of hit a point where, you know, everything needed to be treated very differently. It wasn't just a bunch of, you know, friends trying to do everything between themselves. Mm. It was, much larger than that and needed kind of uh, due care and attention and organization and an understanding of how to make a, a streamlined operation. So it's been great having Scott here. You know, that it's something I've learned talking with and listening to a, a lot of entrepreneurs over the years that that transition point from a early, early stage startup to when the, the business needs to start being built out and Having that partnership, the the technical leadership, the operational leadership is so important, especially in a community where, you know, for our listeners, I think most of them know of this community for the medical device industry, the hospitals, the payers. But folks, if you're listening, there is a growing, not yet big, not yet, 
growing biotech industry in the state, and Viriad's one of those key companies. And it, I'm curious, as, as you started the company and Scott is now, you're building up the operations, can you tell our listeners a bit about the journey of translating you know, the, the science, the research into a, a business operation, and particularly in a community that maybe isn't as well known for building biotech? Yeah, it, it has been an interesting, I'll say an interesting journey for, let's just say the city of Rochester, <laughs> and I, right? And it's hard to separate the city of Rochester from Mayo Clinic in many respects. And, and when uh, Mayo Clinic a number of years ago uh, began looking at its own relationship with industry, mm. it recognized a need to help loosen what were longstanding regulations that really didn't allow inventors to participate outside of the institution in founding companies or being involved in the growth of that outside of the Mayo environment. And and they uh, loosened those guidelines up as part of an employee entrepreneurship program. And those policies came into effect. And of course, with that comes a a big culture shift within the organization. Mm. But there were some people, I think, who who were ready and, and, and willing and wanting to be able to have that type of an engagement. And it's, it, it probably shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, Steve and uh, Kawai Peng, yeah. uh, co-founders of both Amanas and Viriad, were the first two participants in the employee entrepreneurship program and, and kind of started this journey in Rochester. You know, one of the things that attracted me to the organization has been Steve's commitment to staying and growing as a part of the community. Uh, it would have been easy to take the organization and move it to Boston or San Diego uh, or somewhere else that has a really great biotech hub. Uh, But Steve was really committed to wanting to do that here in Rochester as what I think of as kind of a a pioneer uh, in the space. And that's one of the things I think is great about our organization is the desire to build the queue. Now, with that, of course, comes the challenges of not having a community built up mm-hmm. in Rochester or or large larger throughout the state that supports that type of an incubation of a small company really growing into a larger one. And I think that has been where some of those growing pains uh, have happened and where you see more movement in the state now as more individuals have ideas, mm-hmm. whether it's environment or other environments where they want to be able to follow those and be more engaged with them. They're then now looking for local support, expertise, advice, guidance. And I think the state and the city and companies or, or sorry, organizations like Medical Alley have been really helpful in establishing some of those bridging resources to really help facilitate the growth for people who have great ideas, but just don't know how to do anything past that. They kind of know what where they want to go, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. So mm. I, I think we've seen that evolution occurring over the past 10 or 15 years. And it's probably another, you know, 15 or 20 or 30 years, you know, to, to get to maybe what they've accomplished at University of, of Wisconsin and the Madison. Right. Area. Right, let alone you know what they have going on in, in Boston or San Diego. But there are a lot of great things that this state has going for it. And you mentioned a lot of them already. 
terms of really a good educated workforce focus in medical devices, at, you know, insurance and hospital, a lot of those things can translate into the biotech area. And, and I think we're beginning to see that. Yeah, well said. And I have to say for the listeners, if, if you haven't followed, you know, the, the changes in approach uh, at Mayo Clinic for the, the spin out of technologies, the licensing of technologies, it, it's made a massive impact on the state already with ventures coming out from the researchers and the clinicians, attracting new investment. But everyone listening to this knows healthcare innovation has long cycles, and particularly in biotech. So those seeds that got planted 10, 15, or 20 years ago, you know, we're just starting to see some of the impact today. And I really appreciate what you guys have done in contributing to that and you know, making that commitment to help build it out. Like it, it takes both sides working together. I want to continue on the business thread for just a sec. One of the things that we see very commonly in the biotech world, but it, it's less common in the device world, and I'm hoping you can talk a bit about this, is the early collaborations with the corporates, you know, like the work that you all have done with like a Regeneron or a Merck KGA. Could you maybe shed a bit of light in on what's been involved in working with some of these established biopharmaceutical companies and you know anything you might say to other startups who are listening to understand or you know better develop and manage those relationships maybe some of the the challenges you've learned from Yeah so we you know we've really grown into a collaboration with a pharma company uh, and that's Regeneron for our first few years, we were going it alone hmm. and, you know, looking for investment dollars and building the company that way. And investment is hard to come by um, for any early stage biotech. But, you know, particularly when you're sort of out of the the sort of the standard areas, you right. know, Boston and um, and the Bay Area. And so we were sort of struggling to get to critical mass and really accelerate, but we had great science. And so it occurred to us that it would be smarter for us to look for a pharma partner than to go after, you know, investment groups that wouldn't be able to really contribute to what we were doing. And so we thought a pharma partnership would be a kind of unperturbed by the fact that we're a small company and would be more excited or, or that we're located, you know, in a, an unusual place, but they'd be excited about the science. And so, you know, that was, that was really our selling point. We had great science. A couple of companies came after us, you know, Regeneron ended up being the partner that we, um, that we developed a, um, a big collaborative alliance with. And we, you know, th at the time they started the collaboration with us, at the time it kicked off in 2019, I think it was um, in early November 2019, we kicked off the collaboration. They said to us, right, you know, we want you to run this fairly large clinical trial, which we'll finance. Uh, we want you to have a preclinical research program with at least 15 FTE working in the lab on developing the next generation of viruses, which we'll finance. And, you know, we weren't big enough to actually deliver on what had been agreed. Oh. 
And so we had to grow into the collaboration. And it's been it's been the most incredible relationship because, you know, we have meetings pretty much every week with various teams at Regenerate. You know, they're preclinical, they're clinical teams. The manufacturing group has had a great deal of involvement in helping us to build our manufacturing capability to, to produce viruses here. And that relationship has really, really helped to shape us as a company. It's given us the firepower we needed to grow as a company without having to go back to the well and get more venture capital. And we, you know, we are very strong now and we're, you know, I think we've done a phenomenal job of delivering on expectations with Regeneron and, you know, they've held us to a high standard. We've held them to a high standard, but it, um, it really is quite, quite an extraordinary sort of opportunity that we, we ran into. Yeah. I don't think all collaborations work like that. So I do think this, you know, from my discussions with other people in similar companies, similar positions, I think we've really fallen on our feet with this. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> well, then I, I have to ask then, well, what's next for the company? Well, I think, you know, two things. I, I think that we talk about being a, a science-driven or a, or a technology-driven company, right? It's everything starts with having a good, strong, basic understanding of where we are and what we can develop, and then we go from there. We have, as Steve just outlined, grown through our relationship with Regeneron, and part of what we do in collaboration with them also helps us spin out other capabilities. And so as we think about where we're going in the next few years, we have traditionally thought of ourselves as this oncolytic viral therapy company, or we've talked about ourselves in that vein. But really what we've developed in conjunction with them and then separate from Regeneron is a more, I'll say, generalizable approach around targeted genetic medicines. So not just focused on oncolytics, but on other applications of our ability to, del to deliver drugs into patients that build on this basic knowledge that we have, but also supplanted through additional discoveries and development that come out of our ongoing work. And so I think for us, that science takes us in other avenues that open up opportunities for new collaborations with additional biopharma companies. And as a result of that, we're investing in the growth of our physical footprint. So we're right now in the process of uh, fitting up another 15,000 square feet of wow. combined laboratory and office space. And we're doing that in part because of the growth of our relationship with Regeneron and our desire to do more, but also to make room for additional collaborations in the, in the coming months. And so we're, we're excited about that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you get nervous too, but, but that's, I think being, being in a small company. Yeah. I uh, thinking about it, right. I mean, to some extent, it's always a little nerve wracking, but, but it's also really exciting. And so I'd say what's next for us is continuing to pay attention to doing good science and developing and, and, and making sure that companies prepared to follow where the science takes us. But I'll just I'll just add a bit more color on that, Please. Frank. So, you know, our, the, the viruses we're developing with Regeneron are vesicular stomatitis virus, VSV-based therapeutics. 
And the lead asset for that is in clinical testing in um, currently in four different clinical trials. And we're very excited about that drug. I mean, it's got definite um, impressive anti-cancer activity, you know, when given in the right way and the right indications in the clinic. And so we're moving on multiple fronts with Regeneron, um, you know, footing the bill for it effectively. But we're running studies. We have this preclinical collaboration with them, which has been all about fully retargeted virus therapy. And it was out of that component of the collaboration that we developed this targeting technology that Scott's referring to. So we could, so the targeting of VSV is immediately transplantable into other gene therapy vectors, specifically into lentivirus vectors. Yeah, yeah. And so we can do like direct in vivo targeted gene delivery using lentiviral vectors incorporating these VSVG proteins. And it's really, it's, it's fast moving and it's powerful technology. And, you know, we're really ramping up hard and fast to be delivering on that. And what we're going after initially is direct in vivo delivery of car constructs so that we make car T's inside the patient mm-hmm. rather than, you know, having to take cells from the patient, modify the next back in oh and so that's our big thrust at the moment oh whoa yeah right on that wow oh very cool thank you for sharing that i I think i just have to say in closing i'm always amazed at the creativity of the scientific and the clinical community and the business community especially when they come together and i i hope everyone listening you know takes a little bit of pride that you all are part of this community you know, the listeners, the guests, I mean, like, that's what this community does, advance science to help people. And I, I'll I'll end it there. That is a great thing. And I would say, Steve, Scott, thank you both for joining us today and sharing a bit of your story. Thanks for having us, Frank. Always a great pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. And thanks to Medical Alley. Ah, oh, thank you. And folks, that's been another episode of the Medical Alley Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure you get over to medicalalleypodcast.org. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcasts. And hey, would you do me one little favor? Would you share this episode with just one other person? If everyone listening did that, you'd help spread this story and so many other incredible stories coming out of the Medical Alley community further. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have a great day.